0: So, uh, Claire Kell, thanks very much for finding some time in these crazy, uh, crazy weeks that we're in to talk to, to me for the Creator and podcast. Um, for those people who don't know you, I wonder if you could firstly kind of introduce yourself and... Tell me about your role at the university and how long you've been here.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, Yes, so I'm Claire Kell and I'm the director for the Centre for the Enhancement of Learning and Teaching. So that's a central unit um, in the university that supports a whole range of different staff development to do with learning, teaching and assessment. Um, And I've been here for four years at USW. And before that, um, I worked for 20 too many years, something like five years at Cardiff University, first um, as a lecturer in physiotherapy. So my background, I'm a physiotherapist. My background, and I taught physio for many, many years, and then I moved into their centre and ran their postgraduate certificate in learning and teaching for about ten years, and then I came here. Well, I, I didn't, I didn't know any of that, so that that's quite
0: interesting. I've always wondered what you did before you before you came here. Uh, funny, I'm sitting in my chair now, I'm thinking about physiotherapy at the moment, you know, being working from home all the time. Yeah. I'm to posture is somewhere near acceptable. Um, what I first noticed about you, Claire, when I first met you, actually, you came to observe a teaching session. And at the time, uh, I was more, I'm still involved to some extent, but I was more involved with kind of radio, uh, studio based stuff. And you came in and observed a session. And you, you, you didn't observe it in the way that I kind of, I didn't know what to expect, but I, you know, you gave me something a bit different. I was really interested in the way you kind of looked into the kind of communicative exchange between the lecturer and the student and kind of body language. And to some extent, some of the, sort of the psychological kind of uh, aspects of teaching, which are, as a lecturer, you don't you don't really think about. Um, what what kind of things uh, come to mind when you, when you look at that kind of relationship between students and stuff? What, what, what kind of things are you kind of are you looking for something? Is there something you want to see? I don't know
1: so this is um, a methodology that um, I developed as part of my PhD and that was um, took me seven years and so it was a seven-year study watching physiotherapy students learning to become physiotherapy students on placement so as with lots of placements it's kind of the black hole of an education system you pass your students off to or over to other colleagues in this case um working professionals and in physiotherapy they have to do 1000 hours as a minimum of practice education so a whole one third of their course and of course as educators we can spend a lot of time designing rubrics and assessment and you know trying to do the mechanics but actually what was going on in practice and the doctorate was really the only time that I would um, have the energy to go through the NHS ethics process, quite a, quite a thing. So um, I was then faced with um, opportunity to go and observe students and actually literally follow them everywhere they went, see what they were doing. But of course, you couldn't use a camera. There was no way I was going to be allowed to have recording devices. So I was like, right, how do I capture what is going on in these interactions. We use the expression, making visible. How do I make visible what's going on? And there's a whole lot of literature out there from dance, so from um, Laban and his choreography, and then um, Bert Whistle is an American sociologist who was looking at eye mo- movement, basically people looking at non-verbal communication as telling the story of what's going on. Not the words so much, although the words are important, but actually the nonverbal mm-hmm. and interaction. So how what power looks like, who's in control, um, what implicit modelling are people picking up? So once I'd done that with physio, it seemed a natural extension to see it in the classroom because that was obviously where my day job then had moved. Um, and so we started developing a peer observation scheme Cardiff where um, it was very much focused on trying to think about those interactions those making visible the hidden potentially cultural unnoticed assumptions power relationships unconscious biases so hence I started drawing little stick people um, and that's what I did with you so it was and I've, I've done with lots of people and it just offers a different dimension Um, And I'm not an artist. It's not about artistry. It's just simply about um, sketching really, really quickly where people's bodies are and their body languages. So you'll probably remember that there were some of your students that I drew when they started the session, almost wrapped up in knots. They were so anxious by the interaction that you were going to have with them. And it was a very small group interaction. They knew you really well, but they were really tied up in knots. And I was able to show how over the time, not only did they unwind, but you really tapped into their passion and they started leaning forward and gesticulating and getting really excited. Well, that's really interesting as an educator. I, ho- I know, I hope you found that interesting to think.
0: I re- I re- how, did
1: I, how did I do that? Yeah.
0: No, I really found it fascinating. Like I say, I, uh, and it's, I think it's it a couple of uh, observations on that. Firstly, it was really interesting because nobody had ever said that stuff to me before. It was also really interesting that, you you know, your feedback consisted of the, the, the drawings, really, and the, the analysis, that kind of way. And also for you, uh, like a lot of people who do uh, PhDs, um, you know, it's your chance to kind of explore your thing. It's very specific. It's kind of very specialised. And to be able to actually talk about that to, to anyone is, is, is probably quite a kind of um, – cathartic thing you know
1: yes definitely i mean it was quite a challenge and i think that's something that cath camps and i are working on here because we're running a project here that's called um, the inspiring teachers project where we have observed teachers um, in practice um, over a number of months and trying to think about again power in the classroom so what um what power do the students also have over the staff and who is driving students student staff interactions it's not always the the teachers it's sometimes the students are able through their non-verbal communication to communicate that they aren't happy whatever happy means but they're able to there's a power dynamic that isn't necessarily the way you would think about it but until we expose it and make it visible we can't question is and think
0: about it. No the interesting thing at the moment with all of this online stuff going on of course it is kind of arguably more visible but it's also isolated but maybe you'd pick up on maybe you'd pick up on stuff you know visually I don't know I hope so.
1: Well that was a conversation that lots of people are having is what is the non-verbal equivalent when you're in um, an asynchronous Set of learning packages, or your, um, you know, on collaborate. But of course, we, you know, legally, of course, students, participants don't have to put on their microphones, and they certainly don't have to share their videos. So, how do we enable? um opportunities to hear and to spot the I don't get it panic face that we would normally get in the classroom and so lots of staff are being really really creative about using discussion boards or um you know using the smiley faces icons and collaborate all sorts of things people are doing but I think you're absolutely right it's helping people to realize how much they have picked up on these things intuitively and that's the skill isn't it that's the skill and the craft of the educator but my our research is suggesting that perhaps if that is the skill but maybe because we don't notice it and expose it we could also be um modeling or cloning certain attitudes and value bases that if we thought we were actually doing that is not what we would be wanting to do so it
0: sparks that reflection Wow there's loads of interesting stuff there um, I'm noticing a uh, background a metronome and a piano so uh, you, you you obviously play I mean you you is that how you kind of get your kind of creative stuff out is that your is that your form of expression and release
1: um it used to be but of course I, I actually can't be too tired if I'm too tired I can't um give myself the the space to do that so um which is really weird but I've almost sort of closed down the music side um because I sing as well um but no so gardening gardening is my thing because nobody I don't have to make any decisions I can just do what what I want to do and if it doesn't work it really doesn't matter
0: well, I hope you do start playing your piano again at some point, because it's like a very nice piano. Yeah,
1: it was my grandmother's. Oh. Um, I, I was very, very fortunate. That, I mean, it's, it's not um, a special one in any sense, but I was the only one of the grandchildren who yeah. played. So when she died, I, I was able to to have it. So it, it's um, 100 years or, or more old, which is... Uh, been, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Whatever you do, please, please keep it forever.
1: Yes, <laughs> exactly, yeah.
0: Uh, talking about creativity, Claire, um, within kind of uh, teaching these days, and I mean, one of the things that I know you and I have been talking about is uh, with the University of South Wales 2030 kind of civic mission initiatives, etc., and the new curriculum and everything else and outward facing community engagement stuff. Um, how, how important to you is this notion of kind of creativity and n- nurturing creativity, you know, within the student community and allowing the lecturers to share that? sense of creativity with the students.
1: See now that's really interesting just the language that you use there so um just one of the words that you use always that that word chimes with me it makes me go which is the word um allow Mm -hmm. but it's interesting in the context in which you use it because I think it's relevant to the discussion about creativity in that um you might not have been aware of it, but you are. You said about um, allowing staff to nurture and enable, and I think that goes really to the heart of, in my view, creativity. Because can you can we allow, or do we enable, and what is the structure or the culture or the perception of the culture? That means it might, in some people's minds, be seen as being allowed to be creative rather than spinning it as almost a human right, as something that humans intuitively do. And therefore, why would they need permission to do it? And how do we harness that? And, you know, if you start looking at the structures of any university and you look at modules. And you look at learning outcomes and you look at all the infrastructures and the frameworks and things we've put in place. Yes, they're there to um, protect, I suppose, institutions and to give students some idea of consistency. But what verbs are we using in those? Are we seeing modules as completely unrelated chunks? Or are we designing curricula that have social justice or global citizenship citizenship running right throughout them so there is um a weave that students can own and grow and flourish within and we're not saying nah, you can't do that because that doesn't fit in with my assessment rubric well yes but who designed the assessment rubric again it comes back to power and the unintended challenges and power um issues lurking often completely invisible to those of us who've been in he for a long time but students coming in will completely feel it
0: yeah that's a a great answer actually um there's a a lot of layers layers to it aren't there um could you tell me a little bit about the community of expertise the kind of research which is going on there because that's that that's that's really interesting and i also think that is actually exchange you know a burgeoning kind of exchange
1: yes so um yes so we had um lots of conversations and you were you were integral to those conversations about um the wealth of people with passion and expertise in what actually are our golden threads in our institution but perhaps um are find difficulty in flourishing because they are um there can be a feeling of being powerless in this in this framework Um, and also you know we're a large complex vibrant institution and for people to try and um, find each other can be quite challenging so um, we came up with the idea of um, creating communities of expertise where like-minded people from all over the institution um, who were not just interested in an area but were actually busy in the doings of it um, could come together um, learn with them from each other um, and so we started off um, you and i with the first one which was the the simulation so that's been going um for about 18 months now um, and i think i'm just blown away by how when you both allow and enable these um creative spaces that staff can have safe conversations just inter- stretch their intellectual brain cells and really just go on and tussle with each other. Um, the things that we've achieved, or yes, you know that the, the members have achieved, is really phenomenal. Um, and then you have set up another one on um community engagement which of course is is your absolute passion um, but the simulation we've got um four at the moment so simulation community engagement um displaced people and refugee studies um cath camps and Mike chick run that one and decolonizing the curriculum so cath camps runs that one and we're just about to start a fifth one in november with students as co-creators. So again, these five are completely unnegotiable mm. purposes of you, of higher education, that they're, they're, they're core to our being as institutions. So we're trying to harness them and make them visible and go, this is what we believe and join us, yeah. Just just to, I know
0: you're short of time, but uh, today it was really good to talk to you. Um, just thinking about when I was at when I was at when we when I used to teach at forest before we moved to Cardiff, there was always this kind of slight um, a kind of disconnection, I suppose, between the fact that this university kind of landed in the middle of forest you know, um, and the students, you know, not, a small proportion, you know, wandering around with ballads on their heads and doing doing all doing all the crazy stuff, and people maybe sometimes thinking well that kind of level of education is not not my family background it's not what I'm about you know i don't, I, I don't want these I don't want these kind of these these middle class kids around the place and everything else but I think one of the things you're hinting at there with partic- particularly with the community engagement but with all of that you said about those are the reasons why universities kind of exist right and, and they're central to it so so for me and i i, I know I know you agree but I'll ask asking this anyway well I hope you agree. <laughs> So for me, this engagement thing where the university actually does partner up with outside agencies and delivers some form of social gain and actually engenders good for its communities is absolutely why, you know, a university should be there. In fact, if it's not doing that, then maybe it is, you know, taking up bricks unnecessarily.
1: And I think that's really important for Um, our particular institution as well because of course it was a mining institution to start with so it was absolutely right at the heart of the community Um, you know and there was a really wonderful program on the television recently um, that was looking at you know it's where Um, Minors would come for their leadership development. You know, it was at the heart of the community, really powerful for people. Um, But I think as well, you know, you look at the work that you're doing or the work that Hannah Menard in law is doing. You know, they have students who live in the community who are part of their community engagement projects saying to them, um, our local community doesn't have access to legal justice. That there is no access, so the students come and then they work with the university to provide their community with the thing the community has need for and has asked for. Well, that's really that's what it should be
0: about. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I I know I just just towards the end of the conversation, I'm working with some students at the moment as you know, professional practice kind of outward reach reach and stuff. And I talked to some students yesterday and I, I didn't know that whether they'd, they'd like it at all. It just so happens it's totally outward facing civic mission stuff, working with a hospital, in fact, in Astrid in Managh to develop a kind of um, communication stroke entertainment information system for patients who are in socially isolated independent wards. And they absolutely, they absolutely tore my arms off for it, you know. So it's great so what you what you, you know you, you're doing what you're setting up is really really having an impact um just to say that to you um is there anything you kind of is there something dra- that drives you on is it's there something you're really looking to sort of achieve or is there a kind of an a, a stage you want to get get to
1: i think that outcome I would really really like is that staff who are passionate about their teaching passionate about their pedagogy it doesn't have to be big research but it could be but you know just passionate educators feel that they that's really valued and that um, we see people being promoted or recognized um, internally and externally for their teaching and their um, the impact they're having on students and communities well Claire thank you very much great to talk to you Grand. Thank you very much, Steve. Nice to speak to you.